Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. Well, today we have um, a very important guest with us. We want to say uh, good morning and welcome to Carrie Watkins, who is the executive director of the Oklahoma City National Memorial and Museum. Good morning, Carrie. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we um, we wanted to, to visit with you about uh, the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Um, there are conversations that we know are happening in classrooms, kids who have questions. And um, before we get to that, we want to um, sort of big picture um, talk to you about how um, what happened at the Capitol uh, could be affecting Oklahomans. How How is this um, tied back to um, what for a lot of us is personal history? Yeah. Well, I think what we sat and watched on uh, earlier this week was um, both unbelievable and a disgrace in so many ways. You know, we we all have the right to protest. Everyone has that. The First Amendment gives us that, and uh, people have the right to even extreme views. What they don't have the right to is to, to commit acts of violence. And right. I think. Um, protesting and being violent are two different things. I, we had this conversation around our own dinner table last night, and as my kids said, it wasn't protesting, Mom. They weren't protesting. Mm. Um, and so I, I think it's really important to understand that we're, we're not against peaceful protest. This institution, we, we believe in the Constitution of the United States. Right. But we, what we don't believe and what our mission is, tells us is we can never stop instilling the understanding of the senselessness of violence, especially as a means yes. of affecting government change, yes. is, um, you know, th- there's a way to make change and do it peacefully. You guys know that very well. You've done it. Mm-hmm. You, uh, but but you, you have to be able to do it in a way that's respectful and honorable. And unfortunately, sometimes we don't get people's attention until we protest. Mm. And so I, I, there's so many facets to this story because... I think in many ways the president and his people tried to, to impact change by going through courts dozens of times mm-hmm. it was it was denied. And at some point you have to say okay this isn't working and but you don't go get people riled up to to impact change by doing violent acts and you know I, I, the story is not we don't know all the facts of the story you know how is Security was breached so easily in one of the hardest buildings to access in the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know all the stories, and those will co- the, the facts will come out in the coming days. Mm-hmm. So put the put knowing what we know today on this Friday. How do we teach our kids to understand the senselessness of violence? We're competing against video games where where more people are killed in an afternoon than died on this the sacred ground. I mean, how do we make people understand this was real? This was reality. This was not virtual reality. Mm. And so I think educators have one of the toughest jobs out there. They're, 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 they're trying to keep kids, uh, moving positively through a pandemic, through social, uh, disorder and understanding of of trying to bring social justice to our, to our country. And and, and a situation we've been struggling now for 
you know, more than 100 years. I mean, we don't want to be talking about this 100 years from now. We, we've got to solve these issues. And, and it, it really does start at home and in the classroom, in, in my opinion. And we've been putting out materials now for two days. I'm approving the third one that will go out today to parents and teachers. It just It's about better conversations and how do we mm-hmm. have these tough conversations with our kids. I don't care if your kid's 3 or 13 or 18 or 30. They're, they're seeing it and feeling the pressure somehow. Mm-hmm. And so I, I know the easiest way for teachers is to say we're not going to discuss it. Um, you guys deal with that at home. But I hope that we can create a dialogue in classrooms guided by educated teachers who will just walk kids through the middle of the street. I mean, it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be far left or far right. God knows there's enough of that in the country. <laughs> right, yeah. But if we could just lay the facts out to the kids and have – what what we put out the first night was just to create a safe environment. I, I don't know the safety of every school. I, I can't say every school building is safe, but I know that teachers can create a safe environment within their four walls of a classroom and say, you can say anything in here and we'll and we'll listen. And but you have to be respectful. I mean, and teaching those basic skills are important. Or reiterating what they're already learning at home is important. Unfortunately, not every kid gets the blessing of of being taught those those very basic principles at home. Some sure. people don't have time. They don't have sure. the knowledge. And so teachers have to fill that gap so many times. So I have a brother and a sister, both who are public school teachers in Oklahoma, and I, I know what they do in their classrooms. I have the utmost respect for how I was raised in a public school and the teachers who, who changed my life. Teachers have the most impact. It, it, my kids are with their teachers more than they are with me. And so yep. I value what my kids' teachers can teach them. Sometimes I think they go a little to the left or a little to the right, and we have to go, oh, let's come back to the middle. (laughs) But that's good discussion to have around the dinner table. And so I think for us, we really want to believe that uh, better conversations are more important now than ever and that we can teach people to peacefully fight for change that you believe in. But most important, we've got to keep talking about what's going on and it is easy for a superintendent or principal to say, just don't talk about it. That's yeah. the absolute easiest way. Because kids do come into the classroom with their perspective of, of what their parents have said or sure. what they've heard or what they've read on social media. You know, they, they have more access to things than we ever had growing up. And then I, the other part of it, I think, is the role of social media and news media. And I was just reading something that someone had sent to me. It's like, just turn off the 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 media. And I, 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 I don't believe that. I believe that you have to, uh, you have to weigh the me- news media in. They are, if we block out news media, we'll, we would have never known some of the things we've learned the last four years or the last 40 years. I mean, the media yeah, plays right. a role. They played a very important role in this story, but they, they've got some correction to do, but we all do. And so, you know, I, what we did at our house last night is we would watch one cable news channel and then turn it to the one that usually is the opposite. So we might go from MSNBC to Fox. And it was it was eerie to me last night how their stories were very similar. It wasn't the far right and far left that you had mm-hmm. seen in the early November. Uh, and I did that most of the day yesterday because I was just kind of w- waiting to see how the media um, – how they told the story. I don't. I do think you can watch too much and you can read too much. But what we don't want is an uneducated society either. And right. so I think we, we, we want the media to give us the facts, and we want to weigh the facts and be a smart, principled person that's going to review them and, and come up with their own opinion on how we believe. 
and our students, I mean, especially our, our older students right. who who have access to their own phones and are looking up stuff and they're, they're getting information from a, a bunch of different sources, they need parents and teachers to give them an outlet to to decode and and work through yeah. all of the information that they are receiving so quickly. I mean, my right. daughter finds things out before I do. She's like, right. "Mom, have you seen this?" It's because she's got TikTok. <laughs> she's got TikTok. <laughs> but I mean, they but how? But they've but got that, to help. But that's a source the, of information right. for them. So right. we figure out how to reach them through that. I, I had someone challenge me the night before last on social media. How dare you bring the kids into this? Why would you ever bring them into the conversation? Oh, they're in. They are, and they are I said, in. how dare us not? Yeah. Um, and and I say that strongly because I I I feel like I'm living in a focus group in my own house with two teenagers. But <laughs> yeah. uh, when we started Better Conversations a year ago, uh, one of the reasons I was so passionate about it is because I have 80 year old parents who are both brilliant and community active, active very active in their community, great volunteers. But they're strong in their opinions. And guess what? I've raised two teenagers who are strong in their opinions. And we would sit at a table, and I would watch my dad or mom totally dismiss my kids or my kids totally dismiss my parents in a way that really bothered me as a yeah. as a in-betweener because they I thought they both brought something to the table. Sure. Or, or my in-laws or people. I mean, whoever it is. It was just different generations. And... And I really challenge this as we went in the 25th year to our staff is let's bring people to the table. This is pre-COVID, mind you, but let's bring people to the table and begin to sit down and have these conversations over little things. And let's let's figure out how to get to the table over little things, and then let's tackle some bigger subjects. But we're not even tackling little things. Yeah. And put the, put the phones down and just look people in the eye and have these conversations. Well, that was great for about 30 days, and then COVID reared her head and and she changed our lives for a while and so we've had these discussions um via zoom and we're, we have a monthly on uh on tuesday nights at seven and this week a couple of our trustees mike turpin and aj griffin are going to lead the discussion on what the 2020 election what, what the election taught us and, and how we move forward in 2020 that was that was, um, I mean, how we moved forward in 2021. That was something we set in December before we even knew about this week. But what was, what has the 2020 election taught us as a country? Well, that's going to be a different discussion Tuesday night than we thought it was going to be. Right. Really important. But that's a question that you can have at your dinner table tonight or tomorrow or anyone can have it. And how can we make sure people exercise their right to vote, the electoral college? I mean, you could go on a thousand civics lessons from that one discussion. And you can just have a discussion about why your vote matters or why it's your responsibility to get out and vote or why it's your responsibility to make sure you don't sit quietly or gripe all the time, but yet you don't vote. I mean, there are roles we have. So I think because of what we're in now, the situation we're in this week, it really is about, you know, how do we – how do we teach people to have civil protests without creating violence? And there's a difference. And, and, and teaching them when they see pictures of people who breached security at the Capitol, how does that make them feel? Did they, did it, did it, did it bug them as much to see someone in the, in the seat of the Senate leader as it did me? Cause that punched me in the gut. I was sitting at my yeah. desk and I, I snapshot that and sent my kids a message saying, never think this is okay. Never think this is normal. Yeah. No matter where you go, you guys are the future. You're the future to bring us out of this. I mean, you guys have got to, you've got to take this seriously. And I, I hope that the, the, those pictures bothered them 
as much as it bothered me. What bothered my kids the most, and and it did me, and we were in different places watching this, was seeing the Oklahoma flag at mm-hmm. the very front of the line yep. preaching security. Yep. That that bugged my kids as much or more as it bugged me. And for me, I looked at it like, oh, my God, how did we miss teaching those people the story? In their own state, yeah. we've lived through the horror of domestic terrorism. And how could they be a part of the insurrection of our United States Capitol? Someone from this state. It's embarrassing. And yes. it's a missed opportunity to teach. And how did how did I not get them through the museum doors to understand the senselessness of violence? I mean, we went through a lot of things, but that that bugged my kids a lot. That, that, that someone from Oklahoma would be waving our state flag, which yeah. is very important to us, on the steps of the state capitol, not in protest, but in an act of violence. So, when you, I want to, I want to circle back to something you said a minute ago about that someone had challenged you why you would bring your kids. Why would you bring kids into this? And and you were just talking about your own kids. You know, I um, kids already know. My kids know whether you know whether we tell them or not. They're going to find out. Um, why why talk to them? Why why do we why? I mean, these are hard conversations as parents. They're hard conversations as educators. Why is it important to 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 do that to navigate that with your kids? Well, I, I think kids are going to save us. I really do. I think. Oh my gosh! I think they're going to save us in the racial divide. I mean, I just pray to God they they do. Um, There's so much smarter. I think we've learned from every generation. You know, the, the the greatest generation has taught us so much. My parents' generation has been great. Our generation has has done some great things. I think the the, the kids who are in schools today are are being they don't see they do not see the racial divide they do not understand why we can't treat everyone equal why everyone doesn't matter as much as the other person Mm -hmm. and so i think that is a great value and i think they understand they're watching they see what we they see what's going on and i think they're i think to be able to sit down and have a conversation with your kids uh and making sure they never get comfortable watching extreme rhetoric to the left or to the right and if they're not watching they may not be watching the same nightly news program i am but they're watching on the internet or they're watching it on social media they're watching on tiktok and never think this is fun and games never think that people storming united states capitol in an act of civil war is okay that there are ways to prevent that before we ever get to that point and how we do that how do we work out differences before we get to that that moment and i think um we can do better as americans i think we can do better as parents by and as educators by just sitting down and saying where does that come from is that from your parents is that from is, is that extreme viewpoint from you know it, it, i mean things as simple as masks i know that's something teachers have battled a lot over the last you know several months of you know we're not wearing masks my family doesn't believe in masks uh, i don't care what the school rule is i mean there, there's a school rule for a reason. Sure. And so if there's a real school rule you don't like, then make a plan to challenge it in a peaceful way and and, and gain an understanding of why that rule was put there in the first place. And, and I, I say this to my own kids all the time. There are things in place for a reason. Try to understand why they're there and why they got there. doesn't mean that's how it should always be. It doesn't mean we right. shouldn't we shouldn't have things in place for 60 years without looking at them. But right. figure out why there are rules and guidelines in place to start with maybe they were there for a reason and maybe they need to be updated but but know the history of it before you just go challenge it and know 
nope, because, you know, just because you're young and smart and you have great technical abilities, know what you're doing before you walk into a room with people of all ages and be respectful when you do that. And then understand, understand that sometimes the answer is no. Yeah. A really basic, basic concept. Sometimes the answer is no. Um, sometimes it's not going to work out. Sometimes, sometimes you win and sometimes you have to meet in the middle. Yeah. Sometimes it just doesn't work out and you've got to come back and go get a new game plan and come back. Yeah. But it never resorts to violence. Yeah. So um, so for those teachers out there that or and parents that want to have better conversations with their with their uh, children or their students, uh, better conversations through the Oklahoma City National Memorial has put out some great information. Where can where can folks access that? It's on our website at memorialmuseum.com, or you can access it on any of our websites uh, on on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I, I just think you know what we have here at our at, at your fingertips is a national site that was a, an attack on the federal government. And I'm not trying to sell tickets. I'm trying to change lives. I'm trying to make yeah. sure you don't just pass by the memorial and don't explain to what it is to your kids. I had, I was speaking at girl state and a girl said, I, my dad dropped me off there while he went across the street to the federal building. And I had no idea what, where he dropped me off. And I looked it up and then I came inside and this was a teenage a junior in high school and an Oklahoma girl from, from Southern Oklahoma. And she did not know the story of what happened in her own state. Yep. It yep. was a national story that changed the national landscape of yep. domestic terrorism. And it was an extremist. It was a, it was a, American, the decorated American soldier who got disgruntled with this country. Not too different than disenchanted Americans that got frustrated and marched on the Capitol. They just did it and they just did it a different way. But walk your kids to the memorial. Pull up our website at memorialmuseum.com. Watch a video. Understand that this, this can happen in your hometown. It has, or your home state. It has. And just teach the lessons of it. Understand that extremism is wrong and we're wrong to accept it and and Mm -hmm. let's come together and depend on things that we know that can get us through if that's faith if it's your community if it's your if it's your teachers if it's your coach together we can defeat anything but working in these polar polarized worlds is not going to solve any of our problems and and that that, is evidence that doesn't matter that doesn't matter where you are in the smallest community to the largest city it doesn't matter it's it is the same it's the, my dad has a line, same circus, different clowns, and he's right. I mean, no matter where you are, um, you're going to have those issues, and you've got to work through them. Yeah, and, 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 and all of your points are evidenced in the uh, part of the memorial's mission statement that, uh, that says we can never stop instilling an understanding of the senselessness of violence, especially as a means of affecting government change. We must always convey the imperative to reject violence. And we appreciate you so much. Yes, thank you very much, um, And the Oklahoma City National Memorial for for putting out better conversations and guides to better conversations for us. Thank you for being with us on our podcast. Thank you so much. Well, this morning we are joined by our state treasurer, Randy McDaniel. Treasurer McDaniel, how are you? I'm doing great, and thank you so much for letting me participate in this podcast. Absolutely. We are excited. Well, we we have uh, lots of questions. It's almost a legislative session. Um, so 
talk to us about a number that we hear often is, talked about is gross receipts. How are things looking in Oklahoma? Tell us what that means and how things are looking. Well, th- uh, thank you for the question. Um, gross receipts to the Treasury is a broad indication of the overall economic status of the state. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of a tell of um, a couple of different key issues. You know, we've had uh, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. The pandemic has been a tremendous impact around the world and right here in Oklahoma as we all sure. try to stay safe and get back to business. And um, clearly that's had a major impact. Um, on the other side of that issue has been the federal relief money that has been very critical from business lending to um, unemployment benefits and, and stimulus money. Mm-hmm. And so as we've tried to incorporate all those different factors, this has been a more complex couple of years. And as we look forward, that will still impact as we uh, make budgets for the future. Um, the gross receipts to Treasury, um, the good news is it's better than most people expected because of those factors I mentioned. Um, yeah. We're still over $13 billion. We had a high water market over $13.7 billion. And so the gross receipts to the Treasury includes um, every tax revenue that comes into the state excluding the federal money. And Mm -hmm. so we feel like that is the best barometer of the overall economic affairs and and, and the condition of the state. And and so we are pleasantly um, thankful that it's Mm -hmm. come in at a stronger number than most people expected, especially starting in March. Um, But we still have challenges ahead, and I look forward to talking about some of the more details of the Board of Equalization and the state budget. You know, it's hard just as an average person to kind of gauge how things are going, especially with the pandemic makes things feel so much more complicated, and the oil and gas industry um, having a tough year, it's it's hard to gauge as just a, a lay person how things are going. Well, well, it is. I think that you know you would normally anticipate a tougher year when we when we saw record lows at some point, you know, of April yeah. of 2020, hitting the all time low on oil and gas. Of course, they've bounced back, and we're starting to see more stabilizing as we get over forty dollars a barrel on oil, mm-hmm. but. Um, there's no doubt that this has been a very tough year as we've seen gross production tax um, really take a hit of about 40%. Wow. And um, even though that's not one of our main revenue sources, it's important. And we know that there's a spillover effect on income and sales tax and everything else. And so that was a very disconcerting situation when we were right in the midst of putting together the thoughts for the budget last year. And um, I'm happy to report that even with that difficulty, which it has been a very difficult year for the oil field activity and oil, that industry, um, we've been, you know, the resolve of the Oklahomans across the state um, and everything else involved, um, the cuts haven't been near as pronounced as uh, a lot of people were worried about. Good. So how, so how do you take the, that picture uh, that you guys have and turn it into the state budget? How does that become what we are planning for? Okay, thank you. Um, Well, the Board of Equalization, which I sat on and and most, um, let me just kind of run through the folks that are on the Board of Equalization. Mm -hmm. It includes the governor, uh, lieutenant governor. Um, We have the attorney general, myself, as I said, state auditor, state superintendent, and the appointee, the agricultural commissioner. Mm -hmm. And we meet in December, which we have recently done, to have the first estimate 
and that will be what the governor uses to put together his first preliminary budget okay. for everyone to look at. Mm-hmm. And then we will meet again in February to see if those numbers are still holding up and really confirm the amount of money that the legislature will actually have as authorized and certified to be able to use for the budget. And so then they will go in session um, first Monday in February, uh-huh. and they will have until the end of May, unless they go into special session otherwise, um, to have that concluded. And as we know, that when we get into April, May, that's when it really comes down to putting the budget together and finalizing um, passing the budget off the House and Senate floor, and then it would be sent to the governor. So... I'm sorry, go ahead, Alicia. No, uh, so you've got unique perspective, having been uh, a legislator and now being treasurer. Um, so so you see both sides of the issue. Yeah. Uh, what is more interesting to you? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I feel very fortunate and blessed to have this role, and I do think that experience was helpful. You know, I spent uh, my whole career um, in the financial services industry. I started off as a banker and then became a financial advisor for a little over two decades. And during that time, um, I was fortunate enough to serve in the state house and serve 12 years. And so I think all those experiences um, have been very helpful in this role. Um, I love being the state treasurer and very thankful for the opportunity to do it. And I, I think all those different things in life have helped me have a better grasp on some of the key issues we face. But I thank you for asking. So when I think about, when I think, like, this year in particular, I feel like I don't know what's going to happen, you know, next week. I don't know what's going to happen maybe tomorrow. <laughs> how, <laughs> how you know, with, with so much, I mean, just dramatic changes and shifts in the economy and so much going on, um, how, how do can lawmakers and state leaders, how do you, how do you plan for that? Because, you know, when you talk about, when you were talking about April and May, I think, oh my gosh, what's going to be happening in April and May? How do you plan for that? Well, these are very unique challenges, uh, the current events with the pandemic and how fast the vaccine is going to get widely distributed and and what will that mean uh, on a month to month basis for the state economy. But I do think one thing's nice to report is that, you know, following the 1980s and the difficult times in the oil patch, um, uh, even more strict measures got in to make it where it is a little bit more conservative and a little bit more cushion in there. So they, and what I mean by that is, you know, we can only appropriate 95% each year. And, yeah. and then there are pretty um, strict guidelines on how you would react if if it was really bad and so just let's talk about the good and bad side so we can they call it the five percent money at the end of the year and that does have an impact of where we go in this future budget we're getting ready to do Mm -hmm. um so with the five percent spread you can only spend 95 percent um if if it would drop beneath that then there are um majors that would be across the board at least initially unless they go into special session mm-hmm. on the good side if we have over a hundred percent you know um, all that money is put into the rainy day fund one thing that was kind of unique right. in this right current time and right now is the the surplus and the five percent money um which isn't always the case but that is our buffer to go year by year and so kind of the highlight and i'll just kind of lead this right into the budget i I think some good decisions were made. Um, you know, we need to be mindful that in this great uncertainty, 
um, that we have to be vigilant and, and proceed with caution. And so I think that when they went in and when we didn't know whether there'd be stimulus money, um, they were, you know, the, and we knew oil, but the one thing we did know is oil prices and gas prices were really tanking. Um, you know, they took a conservative bent, but I, I applaud the legislature for saying, okay, we're taking that information, but we're going to try to keep education as held harmless as possible. And they, they were able to bring the cuts down to, well, any cut is bad and we yeah. need to fund education better. And um, they did a lot to make sure that, you know, we kept that just in the in the 2% range. The rest of the state was in a 4% range. And without some of those measures, um, they could have been 10 to 16% across the board. Mm-hmm. So I think that they everyone digested that information. People mm-hmm. didn't overreact. Yeah. They put together a solid budget. And as we look at this year, the issue is now um, we have to account for those one-time monies that were taken to make um, the budget a lot stronger and bigger last year. And so, but the great news is we have a $600 million um, greater than expected number because of the stimulus money, because of Oklahomans continuing to work and doing what they do. And so there's some good news out there, but it's not like there's a 600 million available without strings attached. Yeah. Nothing to throw a party about necessarily. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And, th- and that's, a co- is, is that a comparison between last year's budget and this year's budget, that 600 million more? Yes. You know, there's some rounding in here, but it's basically sure. we had a, a $7.8 billion appropriated budget and it's going to be 8.5 is actually 8.4 and change. We with the rounding, it goes up to 8.5. And that was the initial estimate from December. And so we basically have about $631 million was the initial estimate spread from last year, which is, again, great news. Yeah. You know, it yeah. wasn't the worst-case scenario. Um, but we have to keep in mind there were a couple of key issues. You know, Medicaid was passed. They're expecting that mm. to be about $164 million a year. Yeah. Um, we had one-time monies, which included many things that people on the phone are concerned about. Right. But it was great because they, they put it in the 1017 fund, which those weren't reoccurring revenues, but they mm-hmm. made the budget whole and more stable last year. And so um, there's some things to account for in fiscal year 2022 and fiscal year 2023 mm-hmm. that I just it wouldn't be a fair representation to say that we just had $631 million available that yeah. that was not encumbered going forward. So... Um so you talked about the five percent cushion and um, non-reoccurring funds, but can can rainy day funds and five percent cushion and that five percent cushion uh, be used to keep education from being cut? Well, yeah. I, so the one thing that's a new addition to the rainy day fund has been the. Um, Revenue Stabilization Fund that we passed oh, right. in 2016. So uh-huh. the, I, I'm just going to kind of combine both of those because I think people will want to know, you know, what is the end result of how much cushion we have in that that bucket or those those two buckets. Um, traditionally, we've just had the rainy day fund until the stabilization was passed, and then in 19 they put in 200 million in the stabilization fund. Uh-huh. The rainy day fund was primarily used to kind of make things stable, and so you put those two together, um, and that's 250 million. Now, to put in perspective, coming into the last session, we had you know over a billion, so you know it's, yeah. it's been tapped, yeah. um, but there's still some significant amount that can stabilize things. So when you look at the 250 million that would be available, we have to remember that 23 
Um, there's some other issues that are going to have to be accounted for for the when we look at the transportation fund and teachers' retirement and right. and some of those things that are going to happen. So we'll have to be mindful that 2023 is also an issue, but hopefully the economy is doing better. Hopefully right. we're moving beyond COVID-19. And, we better and be. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, I, we're, we're all we're all same sheet of music for sure. So um, anyway, so yeah, there's some. There's some places. The five percent money is another one because of the um, conservative estimate that allowed some money to um, kind of bring in some of the cash flow reserve. There's a couple of buckets buckets that are going to be available to um, stabilize and keep cuts um, from being more than they would have otherwise been. Good. Well, we thank you for your service to the state of Oklahoma and for taking time to visit with us today and breaking down those. Those are big, complex issues that translate to, you know, real life. And very important issues. Yes. I mean, we need to know about how the state budget is made mm-hmm. and, and how the process works. I mean, knowledge is, is power. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm honored to get a chance to do it because you do hear a lot of numbers out there and, and yeah. it can be confusing. And I think that um, any chance I can get to be able to try to shed light on a few things, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I will say I'm, I'm a product of Oklahoma Public Schools yes. and, and I support our teachers. And I know that this is a very tough time across the state. I know we're all just trying to stay safe, but also get up the kids back in school. Mm-hmm. And so... I know the challenges you have are many, and I hope that at least the financial part is not going to be one of the major challenges. But it is a tough time in Oklahoma and across the world, and so we'll just keep fighting the good fight. And, again, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome to Alicia's Morning Announcements. Do, 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 do. All right. Some, we should record that so I shouldn't have to say it every time, oh. but... Uh That it is authentic every (laughs) week. Um, Awards nominations are uh, are up and coming out, and uh, and if you have somebody you want to uh, uh, to nominate, go to OK. E-A. There it is. Let me let me use my use my good words One again. One more time. OKEA.org slash awards. And these are OEA awards, not the Oscars. These yes, not the Grammys. Uh, you know. Just um, want to clarify. Teachers teaching teachers, teachers teaching students, human and civil rights awards, uh, communications awards, awards for community, uh, community and civic engagement, mm-hmm. uh, negotiations. Uh, they they are uh, there are a multitude of awards that are very important to who we are, and um, and we want to celebrate. So uh, look online and um, and think about nominating someone. Do it do it do it now uh it reminds me of that suntech commercial which may be like suntech it's so catchy do it. i maybe we maybe he'll come on the podcast <laughs> or not whatever right. um organizing conference save the date uh february 26th and 27th it's going to be awesome uh it's going to be all virtual uh the registration will be up in the next couple of weeks and um and don't forget Next Tuesday, 21 counties have elections going on. Yep. And they are for mostly um, municipal issues. There are a couple of bond issues Mm -hmm. that are on there. The reality is 
every election matters. Big time. So just because it is, oh, that's just a municipal issue. or But those are the ones you can have the most impact on. You're one vote out of like 300. Yeah. Pahuska has a municipal election for a penny sales tax to save their hospital. I mean. What? Please come on. Yeah. Yeah. Vote. These things are important. It's. And it's a way to affect change. Yeah. Um, uh, we have all of the 21, the elections on the website. So, yes. Uh, so go on and, and look. It's, um, that's how I found out Pahuska was having a one penny sales tax for their hospital. You know, it, voting for me is cathartic. It just is, it is a way, you know, we were talking earlier about um, how to affect change in government. Voting is a critical way to do that. It's the most basic. Yeah. Nonviolent. Yeah, that's that's how you get your voice heard initially. You know, it's been um, it has been a fascinating week as a parent. I'm sure for you as well. It yeah. has been a I, I I appreciate what Carrie Watkins said about having these better conversations, and um, because kids need to know there are ways to affect change, and this is not one of them. Right. You know what I mean. And it's um, because we're learning virtually. And we live in a house the size of a mailbox. Um, I hear most of my fifth graders' classes, which, by the way, has been a great refresher for me on geometry, all kinds of history. Um, and uh, it, I, I loved hearing that conversation with those kids. Their teacher was amazing, just amazing navigating, you know, what do we know as a fact? Okay, what are, you know, what is an opinion about what happened? And it's a, she told them, this is a conversation we're going to have going forward. And I love all of you and you all are safe and welcome here. And like, it was, it was amazing to hear. I'm glad, I'm glad that someone besides her, just me and her dad had that they're talking about it in that context. And I think it was important for her to hear from all of her classmates. Yeah. It, that was just, I think it's important for her to see what other kids bring and how they view it maybe differently than her. And, and uh, it's interesting, the conversations that you have with your girls who are uh-huh. on the younger end of the spectrum yes. versus my 17-year-old who gets information before I do. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and and we have conversations about it. And uh, it is refreshing to know that we're bringing up girls that are strong in their thought process, Yeah, know how to fact check. Yes. And um, and don't believe everything that they see on the Insta Faces Spacegram <laughs> and, and TikTok. I mean, <laughs> although the TikTok stuff is is uh, one of the things that's keeping us alive right now. Seriously, <laughs> seriously, guys, if if anybody needs a like a pick me up, please go watch pictures of or videos of dogs and coats and stuff like that. It is pretty helpful. Dancing and it's. We'll do do a reenactment if we have a video podcast sometime. Well, we had good conversations today. So I just want to say thank you very much to Carrie Watkins of the Oklahoma City National Memorial and Museum. Thank you so much to our state treasurer, Randy McDaniel, both of them for joining us. And thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, 
Keep fighting the good fight for public education.